Have you ever noticed that uh, every year, well, I should say, put it this way, every year we tend to change or turn 12 corners, and this is the 12th corner that we have turned this year, and from here we're going straight into Christmas, straight into Christmas. Most of us are born before Christmas in a year, except Jessica. Where's Jessica? A few are born after Christmas Day during that particular year, but Jessica being one of them. But most of us, we, um, if you think of uh, each month as a corner that you turn, then this is the 12th corner. We're going directly into Christmas. One of the questions we've been asked since we were very small children is, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas this year? Remember being asked that question? And... Uh, or maybe you didn't even wait for being asked. Maybe you just volunteered what it was you wanted for Christmas. So there's two questions. What is, one is, what do you want to get for Christmas? And the other question is, what do you want to give for Christmas? What do you want to get? What do you want to give? And there's so much that is determined by those two questions. I'm going to share with you a little bit this morning on a Christmas story. It's not, I'll share on, we're coming up towards the, spending our time focusing on the, we call it the Christmas story, or at the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Savior, the incarnation. But there are many different Christmas stories, and I'll share one of those with you this morning. We all like stories. I think we all like to read stories. We all like to have stories sometimes read to us. And since the time we were small children, we learn through stories. And uh, we love, actually we love stories. I'm going to share one with you that I believe you're going to uh, really enjoy and uh, will touch your heart this morning. But keep this in mind as we go through the morning on in terms of the difference between what do you want to get and what do you want to give. Because up ahead of us, there are two places that have been prepared. So there are two prepared places. The one uh, place is uh, the kingdom that has been prepared for the Lord's elect from before the foundations of the earth. And the other is a place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And into one of those two places every soul will go in the final determination. And a great deal of that determination, as we'll see in a moment, is based on the difference between what do you want to get and what do you want to give. I'll begin to read from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31 in my Bible. It refers to this as the final judgment. The words of Jesus, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, And this is not if, this is when. When he comes, this is ahead of us and future to us, with all the holy angels with him, and he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And indeed he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats to the left. And there are three things. First of all, there will be the dividing. The dividing. 
We live in a period of time where everything is all the time inclusion, 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 inclusion. And people are forgetting how to divide and forgetting the importance of dividing. It's not always inclusion. Sometimes it's dividing. And when it comes, when he comes and sits on the throne of his glory, the first thing he will do is to divide. As a shepherd divides between sheep and goats. Then, after he has divided, there will be a conversation and an explanation as to why the division and what the division has been based on. So first there will be the division, then there will be the explanation for the division, and then there will be the direct, the direction to the destiny. Go to the place that has been prepared. Go to the place that has been prepared. And the sheep will go to the place that has been prepared. And the goats will go to the place that has been prepared. Then the king shall say to those on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then all the righteous shall answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and fed you, or thirsty, and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and took you in, or naked, and clothed you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and came to you? And the king shall answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, and he'll point to those on his right, you have done it to me. Then he also shall say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he shall answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. We don't see, we don't see that. We just sometimes, we just do not see that. We do not see the face of Jesus in these circumstances and in these people. We don't. And there's so much at stake here. There's just so much at stake. And from the time we're little, we're always asked this, what do you want to get? What do you want to get? What do you want to get? And we spend our lives and we're trained really to focus on what am I going to get? What can I get? What do I want? What can I... And it's just so damaging to the soul. If we could see the damage that's being done to the soul by training up our little ones in that way. 
I'm sure we would not we would not train those things and cultivate those things that ought not to be cultivated. Instead, we would say, what do you want to give for Christmas this year? What do we want to give our, as our family this year for Christmas? What a difference it would make. And really, when it's all said and done, it's more blessed always to give than it is to receive. It's more enjoyable. It's much more pleasing. It's much more delightful to give than it is to receive. We all know that to be true. Well, why then do we focus on what am I going to get? What are you going to get this year for Christmas? There was a story that was written. This story is based on a, on a location, on a farming community. And the setting is 1881. The setting for the story is 1881. I had someone read this story to me recently, and I thought I would read it to you because I enjoyed it so much being read to to me. I don't have people read to me very often anymore. This young lady that I spent a lot of time with, she read it to me. And it was so touching that I wanted to read it to you. And the story is, again, it's uh, setting for the story is 1881, and you'll say... Is this actually a true story? Is this a true story? I'll tell you a little bit more about the story after I've read it to you. Because I did, I went on and on. Even the young lady who read it to me doesn't know what I'm going to share with you about the background of the story. I don't think she'll be disappointed when she hears it. But it's based again in 1881. It's a, fa- it's a farming story of a life of a young boy who's being raised on a farm. And he wants a gift for Christmas that year. He's 15 years old. And this is the story. It's called A Christmas Prayer. Pa never had much compassion for the lazy, for those who squandered their means and then never had enough for the necessities. But for those who were genuinely in need, his heart was as big as all outdoors. It was from him that I learned that the greatest joy in life comes from giving, not from receiving. It was Christmas Eve, 1881. I was 15 years old. You know, he was born in 1866. I was 15 years old and feeling like the world had caved in on me because there just wasn't enough money to buy me the rifle that I wanted so bad for Christmas that year. We did the chores early that night for some reason. I just figured Paul wanted a little extra time so we could read from the Bible. So after supper was over, I took my boots off and stretched out in front of the fireplace and waited for Pa to get down the old Bible. I was still feeling sorry for myself, and to be honest, I wasn't in much of a mood to read the scriptures. But Pa didn't get the Bible. Instead, he bundled up and went outside. I couldn't figure it out because we had already done all the chores. I didn't worry about it long enough, though. I was too busy wallowing in self-pity. Soon Pa came back in. It was a cold clear night and there was ice in his beard come on Matt he said bundle up good it's cold out tonight I was really upset then not only wasn't I getting the rifle for Christmas now Pa was dragging me out in the cold for no earthly reason that I could see we'd already done all the chores and I couldn't think of anything else that needed doing especially not on a night like this 
but I knew Pa wasn't very patient with anyone who dragged their feet when he told them to do something. So I got up and put my boots back on, and I got my cap and coat and mittens. Ma gave me a mysterious smile as I opened the door to leave the house. Something was up, but I didn't know what. Outside, I became even more dismayed. There in front of the house was the work team, already hitched to the big sled. Whatever it was we were going to do wasn't going to be a short, quick little job. I could tell. We never hitched up the big sled unless there was going to be a big haul, a big load. Pa was already up in the seat, reins in hand. I reluctantly climbed up beside him. The cold was already biting at me. I wasn't happy. Once I was on the seat beside Pa, he pulled the sled around the house, stopped in front of the woodshed. He got off and and I followed. I think we'll put on the high sideboards, he said. Here, help me. The high sideboards. Whatever job we were going to do, it was a lot bigger than I wanted to do with just the low sideboards on. But it would be an even bigger job with the high sideboards. When we had exchanged the sideboards, Pa went into the woodshed and came out with an armload of wood. The wood I'd spent all summer hauling down from the mountain and then all fall sawing into blocks and splitting. What on earth was he doing? Finally... I said something. Pa, I asked, what are you doing? You been by the Widow Jensen's lately, he asked. The Widow Jensen lived about two miles down the road. Her husband had died a year or so before and left her with three children, the oldest being eight. Sure, I'd been by, but so what? Yeah, I said, why? I rode by just today, Pa said. Little Jakey was out digging around in the woodpile trying to find a few chips. They're out of wood, Matt. That was all he said. And then he turned and went back into the woodshed for another armload of wood. I followed him. We loaded the sled so high that I began to wonder if the horses would be able to pull it. Finally, Pa called a halt to our loading. Then we went to the then we went to the smokehouse and Pa took down a big ham and a side of bacon. He handed them to me and told me to put them in the sled and wait. When he returned, he was carrying a sack of flour over his right shoulder, and a smaller sack of something in his left hand. What's in the little sack? I asked. Shoes. They're out of shoes. Little Jakey just had gunny sacks wrapped around his feet when he was out in the woodpile this morning. I got the children a little candy, too. It just wouldn't be Christmas without a little candy. We rode the two miles to Widow Jensen's pretty much in silence. I tried to think through what Pa was doing. We didn't have much by worldly standards. Of course, we did have a big woodpile though most of what was left now was still in the form of logs that I would have to saw into blocks and split before we could use them. We also had meat and flour, so we could spare that. But I knew we didn't have any money, so why was Pa buying them shoes and candy? Really, why was he doing any of this? Widow Jensen had closer neighbors than us. It shouldn't have been our concern. 
we came in from the blind side of the Jensen house and unloaded the wood as quietly as possible. Then we took the meat and flour and shoes to the door. We knocked. The door opened a crack and a timid voice asked, Who is it? Lucas Miles, ma'am, and my son Matt. Could we come in for a bit? Widow Jensen opened the door and let us in. She had a blanket wrapped around her shoulders. The children were bundled in another blanket and were sitting in front of the fireplace by a very small fire that gave off hardly any heat. Widow Jensen fumbled with a match and finally lit the lamp. We brought you a few things, ma'am, Pa said, and set down the sack of flour. I put the meat on the table. Then Pa handed her the sack that had the shoes in it. She opened it hesitantly and took the shoes out one pair at a time. There was a pair for her and one for each of the children, sturdy shoes, the best shoes that would last. I watched her carefully. She bit her lower lip to keep it from trembling, and then tears filled her eyes and started running down her cheeks. She looked up at Pa like she wanted to say something, but it wouldn't come out. We brought a load of wood too, ma'am, Pa said. Then he turned to me. Matt, go bring in enough to last for a while. Let's get that fire up to size and heat this place up. I didn't feel like the same person when I went back out to bring in the wood. I had a big lump in my throat, and much as I hate to admit it, there were tears in my eyes too. In my mind, I kept seeing those three kids huddled around the fireplace and their mother standing there with tears running down her cheeks and so much gratitude in her heart that she couldn't speak. My heart swelled within me, and a joy filled my soul that I'd never known before. I had given presents at Christmas many times before, but never when it had made so much difference. I could see we were literally saving these people's lives. I soon had the fire blazing, and everyone's spirits soared. The kids started giggling when Pa handed them each a piece of candy, and Widow Jensen looked on with a smile that probably hadn't crossed her face for a long time. She finally turned to us. God bless you, she said. I know the Lord himself has sent you. The children and I have been praying that he would send one of his angels to spare us. In spite of myself, the lump returned to my throat and the tears welled up again in my eyes. I'd never thought of Pa in those exact terms before, but after Widow Jensen mentioned it, I could see that it was probably true. Suddenly I was sure that a better man than Pa had never walked the earth. I started remembering all the times he had gone out of his way for Ma and me and for many others. The list seemed endless as I thought on it. Pa insisted everyone try on the shoes before we left. I was amazed when they all fit, and I wondered how he had known what sizes to get. Then I guessed that if he was on an errand for the Lord, the Lord would make sure he got the right sizes. Tears were running down Widow Jensen's face again when we stood up to leave. Pa took each of the kids in his big arms and gave them a hug. 
They clung to him and didn't want to let us go. I could see that they missed their paw, and I was glad that I still had mine. At the door, Pa turned to Widow Jensen and said, The missus wanted me to invite you and the children over for Christmas dinner tomorrow. The turkey will be more than the three of us can eat, and a man can get cantankerous if he has to eat turkey for too many meals. We'll be by to get you about eleven. It'll be nice to have some little ones around again. Matt here hasn't been little for quite a spell. I was the youngest. My two older brothers and two older sisters were all married and moved away. Widow Jensen nodded and said, Thank you, Brother Miles. I don't have to say, May the Lord bless you. I know for certain that he will. Out on the sled, I felt a warmth that came from the deep, that came from deep within. And I didn't even notice the cold. When we had gone away, his pa turned to me and said, Matt, I want you to know something. Your ma and me have been tucking a little money away here and there all year so we could buy that rifle for you. But we didn't have quite enough. Then, yesterday, a man who owed me a little money from years back came back to, he came by to to make some things square. Your ma and me were real excited, thinking that now we could get you that rifle. And I started into town this morning to do just that. But on the way, I saw little Jakey out scratching in the woodpile. His feet were wrapped in those gunny sacks, and I knew what I had to do. So, son, I spent the money for shoes and a little candy for those children. I hope you understand. I understood, and my eyes became wet with tears again. I understood very well, and I was so glad Pa had done it. Just then that rifle seemed very low on my list of priorities. Pa had given me an even better present. He had given me the look on Widow Jensen's face and the radiant smiles of her three children. For the rest of my life, whenever I saw any of the Jensen's or split a block of wood, I remembered, and remembering brought back that same joy I had felt riding home beside Pa that night. Pa had given me much more than a rifle that night. He had given me the best Christmas of my life. And that story was written, called A Christmas Prayer, Because while this young 15-year-old boy was longing for his rifle and worried that he wouldn't get it that year because the money wasn't available, two miles down the road, a lady was praying with her children for their survival. That's what was happening. And that's why this is called a Christmas prayer. Now, this story was not written in 1881. The story was written in 2001. And so, I'll give you a little background on the story. The story is written by a sheep herder from northwestern Utah. And this uh, man had five children, six children. 
and he was away from his home, about 200 miles away from his home, living in a sheep camp in the wintertime. It was close to Christmas time, and he was living in a sheep camp, which is just basically a portable trailer, but they make it into a livable camp. It's about 14 feet long and 7 feet wide. And he was spending some time thinking about his own children, and it was bitterly cold. And so I'll read you just a portion of what he says. So he says, This is the kind of night I was experiencing as I wrote this story. This man's name is Ryan Anderson, who wrote the story. He said, This is the kind of night I was experiencing as I wrote this story. This is why there was ice in Lucas's beard when he came back in from hitching up the team. And this is why Matt didn't want to leave the warmth of the fireplace and go back out into the cold. And this is why shoes and a load of wood were so critical for the widow Jensen. I put this type of night into a frontier setting when a rifle was something every young man prized and eventually needed. Matt was approaching that point in his life when he both wanted and needed his own gun. And so you have the conflict. On the one hand, satisfying your own needs. And on the other, the critical needs of someone else. You can fulfill one or the other, but not both. Which do you choose? All of this and probably much, much more funneled down and focused together in my heart that cold, clear evening as I sat alone in a sheep camp 200 miles from home. It was a week or so before Christmas, and I was thinking of what I could give my children that would have lasting value, something more than just a meaningless toy that might be forgotten five minutes after it was unwrapped. And as I considered on how Christmas had become such a worldly, materialistic holiday, I pondered how I could express the true meaning of the day to my children without becoming preachy. This story was the result. I'm going to just leave you this morning with the story and let its contents speak for themselves. Now it seems very clear that there are only a very few things that are of critical importance when it's all boiled down and you've taken all the water away from the sap and unnecessary liquid and you've got the pure maple syrup left there's only a few things that are important and, and uh, what's really essential is which of those two prepared places will we spend our eternity will we spend eternity which of those two prepared places you know, it's such a solemn thought. Not only are we accountable for ourselves, but we're also accountable for all those over whom we have influence. That means we're accountable in, for our children in the space of time that we have an opportunity to influence them. You see, there's always a window of opportunity to exercise that influence before that window closes. You could argue that it never closes, well, but if it never closes, it sometimes narrows down to a very thin opening. 
really our purpose in assembling and the purpose of every assembly around the world on the Lord's day and any day that we assemble in his name is to focus on that which of these prepared places will we spend eternity and to prepare ourselves prepare others for that place that the Lord has prepared for us not the place that is prepared for the devil and his angels but the place that he has been that he has prepared for us and it's obvious that the determining factor is the condition of the heart Jesus talked about as much as you did it under the least of these you did it to me but the reason they did it or did not do it was due to the condition of the heart Jesus taught very clearly that we speak the words that we speak come out of the heart the abundance of the heart what the heart is full of there is no question that not only are the words a result and consequence of the heart but the actions are a consequence of the heart therefore it's not just a technical issue about whether you visited or didn't visit or visit or fed or didn't feed or gave a drink or didn't give a drink but it's the heart the reaction of the heart when faced with the need that's the issue that's the critical issue and that's why when we close this morning we come back to the question what are you going to get or what are you going to give I'll submit to you that if we think in terms of what are we going to give that comes from the heart if we think in terms of what are we going to get that also comes from the heart and it is the heart that is judged on that final day Let's just bow our heads for a moment before the Lord. We thank you for the simplicity of the truth. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the simplicity of the truth. We confess our wrongdoings and our transgressions and sins and of attitude of thought and of heart. Oh, that your presence might fill us and transform us as we come to you to be made a new in an ongoing progressive way being changed and continuing to be changed as we proceed and being conformed more to the likeness and the similarity of Jesus likeness of him that our responses and attitudes and thoughts and desires would be more like his and less like the original us We just submit ourselves, Father, in Jesus' name to you. Guard our hearts. Keep us, O Lord. May we be found faithful at the end. May we be among those who reside on your right hand. And and hear those wonderful words. Enter into that which has been prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. We just thank you in Jesus' name. I know some mornings Ruth has two songs in mind. I don't know if this is one of those mornings or not. We do have a little time if she does have. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Near the cross. It's a beautiful hymn. Wonderful hymn. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's fountain.
return in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river the cross a trembling soul love and mercy found me there the bright and morning star shed its beams around me in the cross in the cross be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river near the cross O Lamb of God bring its scenes before me help me walk from day it's Sometimes, you know, things are just uh, timing of things and appropriateness of something is just so delicious. Isn't that wonderful when that happens, when you have something right happen at exactly the right timing? I, I, just, I just love that. And that hymn is one of those things. May the Lord bless you and keep you, guard your hearts. And um, we're, we've got that straight path now, from now right up till Christmas. And... Uh, Let's use that path wisely, right? Let's use that path wisely for His glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.